The Florida Gators football season is over. The Gators unable to get a bowl game at the end of this year, finishing 5-7 and seven on a five-game losing streak. Their last game, a home loss against their rival Florida State, one that showed a lot of issues and as well. Some shining moments for Max Brown, the backup quarterback that took over for Mertz. But as mentioned before, not a bowl-eligible season and a lot of questions going into this offseason. Join me now is the assistant sports editor as well as the sports editor, Topher Adams and Jackson Reyes. The guys, thank you for joining in today. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Now, this was a game, which I mentioned before, the Florida-Florida State one, where the Seminoles ended up going into Gainesville to take a 24-15 victory against the Gators. And again, this is a number five team in the nation, now AP number four in the nation. So we're talking about a playoff team, but the Gators are pretty close midway through the game and both sides dealing with their own injuries. But Jackson, because you did, you know, report on this game, you wrote the gamer for this one, which is available on Alligator Sports and uh, Alligator.org. What was kind of some things from this game that you saw and as well, kind of just tell us about the summary of what happened with the Gators. Yeah, talking about this game, you know, this was a lot of people dubbed it the backup quarterback bowl. You know, you had Max Brown making his first ever start for uh, for the Gators and then Tay Rodemaker coming in for Jordan Travis, who, you know, had a leg injury last week. But, you know, as you mentioned, it was, it was a close game throughout. Florida jumps out. They did exactly what they needed to do. They held onto the ball for a long time. They dominated time of possession throughout, uh, had these long methodical drives, uh, and jumped out to a 12-0 lead. The defense was playing great. They got a safety. Um, but I think what we've kind of seen from Florida all season is sort of in these clutch moments, in these moments where you have to make a big decision, they kind of lean towards the more conservative side. Uh, the very first drive, uh, they uh, end up with just a field goal attempt. They miss it. Um, I believe there's a fourth and inches, fourth and one situation in the second quarter. Uh, they opt to kick a field goal instead of trying to go for it, even though they're, I think, either in the red zone or very close to the red zone. Um, and it's decisions like that where, you know, when you're playing a team as talented as Florida State is, even with the backup quarterback, you know, you can't take chances or you have to take chances uh, to beat a team like that. Um, and just looking at, you know, it, it kind of came to bite them immediately. They kicked that field goal, get that safety. Uh, it's 12 nothing, you know momentum is going their way and things seem going in like a, the right direction. Then FSU immediately finally spits up the scoreboard. It's only 12, seven now uh, going into the break. And then FSU opens the second half, Joe's down, scores a touchdown. They go up by two. Uh, just like that. Most of the momentum's gone. Florida does get a field goal back to go into the fourth quarter up 15 to 14. But uh, by that point, it kind of just felt like a lot of the steam Florida had built up. It kind of ran out. Uh, FSU skill players like Johnny Wilson, Trey Benson, uh, Keon Coleman, they showed why they're some of the best players in the country. Uh, kind of ran all over Florida. Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson made some outstanding catches throughout the game. And, you know, Florida's defense, as well as it played, kind of just, you know, struggled in the second half, especially discipline wise. A lot of penalties that killed the team. You know, there was a, a, a targeting penalty on Jordan or on Jaden Hill. They gave FCU a first down late in the game. Jamari Lyons got ejected for spitting at a player. Uh, some offsides penalties, just things like that that is unacceptable. And I think the the most damning stat that when you, you check the box scores, I think they had 50 yards of penalties, I, I believe, in the second half. And that's more than they had total yards of offense in the second half, which was 48. Uh, ultimately, I, th I just think the offensive line of Florida, just another thing we've seen throughout, just, you know, Failed to contain guys like Jared Verse, just that FSU defensive line and you know their talented players. Uh, 
and really didn't give Max Brown any real chance to, uh, you know, lead Florida to a comeback late in the game. Yeah, and also, as you mentioned with Max Brown, I mean, this was kind of, you know, out of nowhere. You know, you know, Graham Mertz, the main starting quarterback for the Florida Gators throughout the entire season, he goes down in the middle of the Mizzou game, and then you find him now in a huge rivalry game. Uh, but Topher, I'm just kind of curious from you, um, what did you saw from Max Brown? I mean, again, this was his first game under lights in Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Uh, was there like a lot of things where you saw where it was just kind of, you know, that first time ever, you know, kind of mental mistakes, or do you saw more of a composure out of him? Uh, Max Brown had an interesting game. I'd say, uh, you know, you mentioned it. He's a young guy, first ever experience, redshirt freshman. Didn't play. I don't think he played at all last year. If he did, it was only like handing the ball off twice. Uh, had hardly played this year before the Missouri game. Um, to be fair to Max Brown, I think he was put in a lot of difficult spots. I mean, Jackson, you mentioned the offensive line, especially in the second half, Florida state was just destroying Florida at the point of attack to the point where Max Brown had no, <laughs> no chance to do anything, even if he could make the reads, make the throws. But with that being said, he certainly looked like a redshirt freshman who is a work in progress as a college football player. He, you know, he didn't make disastrous plays most of the time, but you know, he's kind of a one read guy. He's kind of a tucking around right away kind of guy. He, you know, his delivery is kind of inconsistent. You know, he flashed some athletic traits. You know, he's a good he's a good runner. He had one pass to Hayden Hansen up the sideline. That was a really nice throw uh, on the run in stride. Really, really good play. But, you know, it's tough. <laughs> he, he's still very limited. I don't know what his future looks like. Maybe he turns into a good college quarterback for Florida or somewhere else. Maybe he doesn't. But, you know, it kind of it just kind of is what it is. I mean, Florida State was dealing with the same thing. I think if you watch their offense with Tate Rotomaker, they're equally, <laughs> equally limited. But the difference is Florida's defense is Florida's defense and Florida State's defense is Florida State's defense. You know, um, that's kind of just what it is. I think Florida had a really good game plan to get the best out of Max Brown. They ran the ball. They didn't make things too difficult for him. They held the ball most of the game. There's kind of limited possessions to try to make it as easy as possible. And Max Brown did a really good job in key situations, especially early in the game. I think they started five for seven on third down. But I mean, at the end of the day, uh, it's it's about talent. It's about who has more good players. And Florida State had more good players than Florida. And you saw in the second and the third and the second half, really in that fourth quarter, Florida State has a handful of future NFL players all over the field and Florida has less of them. <laughs> and that's just kind of what the difference was. And, you know, to, to met the Max Brown point, I think he played as well as you can realistically expect for a redshirt freshman who's never played and didn't have a ton of hype coming out of high school. And, you know, if Graham Mertz plays in this game, probably goes a lot differently for Florida, but at the same time, if Jordan Travis plays for Florida state, it probably goes a lot different for Florida state. <laughs> Absolutely. And again, that's a Gators season ending five and seven. Uh, and I know we talked about it a little bit in basically the beginning before the season was started in our first ever podcast for the semester about the youth of Florida. You know, how are they going to be able to react in this uh, for the Gators? who lost their last five uh, this season. And we're talking about games as close as two to three points and some other games where it's a lopsided victory, such as, you know, on the road against LSU, that neutral Florida Georgia game against the number one Bulldogs. But uh, for question for either one of you guys. What was kind of the main reason that you think, or just one of the many reasons that why Florida continued to struggle down the stretch of this season? And of course, you know, was a, basically a win shy 
from you know a postseason bowl eligible game? Um, uh, do you want to chime in first, or? Yeah, I mean, I'll just start. It's, it's two words. I'm sure Jackson. I'm sure you'll you can expand more on this, but talent and discipline. Florida is one of the least disciplined teams in the entire country. They are one of the most penalized teams. They make the most operational mistakes out of anybody in the country. Special teams has been an oper- operational disaster most of the games this season. Uh, I mean, you met, saw in this game, Jackson, you mentioned there was a player ejected for spitting on somebody. There was a terrible targeting penalty that basically ended the game. Um, there have been count. There's a holding penalty that made kind of killed a scoring opportunity at the end of the first half. Um, We've seen multiple touchdowns come off of special teams or defensive penalties. We've seen countless big runs or big pass plays because the defense gets caught out in incorrect positions or incorrect alignment or takes a bad angle. Those are all discipline coaching issues. So all of that coachable, (laughs) like structural issues are super evident. And that's really frustrating if you're a Florida fan, because, you know, the talent part, like we can get to that. Florida is not as good as Georgia. Florida is not as good as LSU. Florida is not as good as Florida State. And Florida is, frankly, not as good as Missouri is right now. That's just the fact. Those teams are more talented. They have more good football players than Florida does. But <laughs> at the same time, Florida is still close enough that if they cleaned up these operational and coaching issues, they probably win at least two of these games. And they're probably seven and five going to an okay bowl game. And you feel a lot better about the future. So I'm sure Jackson, I'm sure you have a lot of similar thoughts on what, what went awry. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this one's just the biggest thing. I, I think it's been talked about a lot. So I'm kind of beating a dead horse with just what's kind of in the narrative this season. And the past couple of days is just, you know, Billy Napier being brought in praises this detail oriented guy, uh, who's really going to fix this aspect of Florida football that, you know, while it's been sort of much under a bigger microscope this season, it's not like this hasn't already existed the past couple of years under Mullen and under McElwain as well. Uh, it's still kind of just continued under Napier, but his whole thing was, you know, he's here to fix that. That's sort of his philosophy is being a detail oriented coach. And, you know, from the jump, literally first game in Salt Lake city, you know, you have a penalty where two players on a punt return are wearing the same exact jersey number. You know, that kind of thing is just kind of unacceptable. And you can almost accept that because it's the first game of the season. There is a lot of youth. One of those players wearing a number three is a freshman, Trey Wilson. But you don't expect it to continue. You know, sure, a freshman made a mistake or there was a coaching error in that first game of the season. But, you know, just fix it. Like, work on it, try and try and get better. And it just persisted all the way to – where Topher mentioned four or five things that happened in the FSU game, which is their last game of the season. Um, and there's just so many, you know, different times you can point to or issues like that, that really swung the game. I mean, Arkansas game, uh, Graham Mertz is trying to spike the ball to have the team kick a field goal or give them a chance to kick a field goal and win it. And the field goal unit's already running onto the field and it's a, a legal substitution penalty. I believe it was. Um, that's a, discipline or not just but detail-oriented mistake um several times throughout the season they only had 10 guys on a field goal block uh, against Kentucky uh there was uh, I believe roughing the punter or jumping over the line something like that um that led to a, a penalty and then immediately Ray Davis breaks off like a 70-yard touchdown run um you know and I'm sure there's more I can think of off the top of my head but so many of these cases where you know not necessarily the Kentucky game because that one was a little bit more out of hand but so many of these games where 
one or two penalties just really swung the result of the game. And, you know, Florida's doing all it can to give himself a chance to win when they are in a talent deficit against teams like LSU, Missouri, FSU. And when you have these issues like this that have persisted all season, you know, you're never going to give yourself a chance to win these games. And as you mentioned before, a lot of those games, SEC games, three and five conference record for the Florida Gators. And I know this is more or less of a question kind of out of left field, but especially now in college football, we've been kind of seeing kind of, you know, the coaching cycle taking place right now. Guys are getting fired from their programs. Now new ones are coming in, interim coaches. Uh, in the sense of the coaching aspect, uh, of course, for Billy Napier, only in his second year in the program, last year being bowl eligible with six wins. And then now this year, one shy. But of course, there is some promise. How soon, or if not, is it now the right time to say panicking Gainesville? I mean, what's the future right now looking like for Billy Napier's program and as well for Billy Napier's position as the head coach for the Florida Gators? I mean, it's in a very real way, it's too early to put like him on a tangible hot seat. Like he's not going to get fired in the next few weeks. He's not going to get fired before next season. But. The reality is there's not very many examples of a guy who starts this underwhelming and then ends up getting a program where Florida wants to be because Florida's goal isn't to be six and six, eight and four, whatever. That's not <laughs> that's not the expectations of the Florida football program. Florida wants to be winning 10 games every year and winning the SEC and making the playoff and winning national championships. And the fact is there aren't a ton of coaches who start out this underwhelming and then end up succeeding at that level. It's not impossible. And obviously the example everybody points to is Mike Norvell at Florida state. He missed a bowl game, both of his first two seasons, they lost to an FCS school, his second season. Um, and now they've won 10 games back to back seasons. They're a win away from likely a playoff berth, uh, undefeated season. So, like there are some examples and that's why in a very real way, he's not in danger. Um, but the history doesn't bode well. And I think if what we're talking, if, if the only issue we were talking about with Florida's program was like talent, then you'd be like, Oh, okay. <laughs> he can fix that. Cause he's a good recruiter. Florida has a lot of good recruits in the pipeline, but we're talking about like day one coaching stuff. We're talking about the simplest coaching stuff, the, just coach him up football coach stuff, you know, that doesn't require talent to be that, dis that level of discipline and detail. That's just like being a good football coach. And this isn't to say that Billy Napier isn't that necessarily, but I don't know. <laughs> the evidence is a little shaky if we're being totally honest with ourselves. Yeah. And kind of to, to build off of that, I, I know Topher made the point earlier talking about how, you know, several of the teams down the stretch during that, that five game losing streak were just, you know, more talented than Florida. But to another point, like Florida, that doesn't mean that Florida's bad. They, they have a lot of talented players. They're still a very talented team uh, to the point where they, you know, you'd expect them to win at least one of those five games down the stretch, maybe even two if things go right, uh, to, you know, go bowl eligible or at least go seven and five, which I guess is still bowl eligible. Um, and, you know, to go back to your question, Brandon, I, I think it's very interesting um, because there is that aspect of, you know, patience in the program, uh, giving Billy time to get his guys. But, you know, I do think I – don't, I don't know if he'll get fired next season, even if they get off to a bad start. I think what's interesting is that he is in – you know, I, I was looking at this today. 
He is, uh, he's, he'll be entering year three of a seven-year contract next year. Uh, and then his buyout after the 2024 season, I just pulled up, is uh, $25.6 million. Um, I'm very curious. I, I don't have I don't have the top of my head if they're still paying the McIlwain buyout or if they're still paying the Mullen buyout. I, I don't know how many buyouts they can stack up before, you know, bigger questions need to be asked. But, you know, to Topher's other point, though, I, I do think, like, to this underwhelming of a start, there can only be so much patience. When you look at the Florida's last three coaches, you know, Will Muschamp went to a Sugar Bowl his second year, still was bowl eligible uh, three of his four years. Uh, you look at McIlwain, they had disappointing finishes to his first two years, but in two of his three years, they were bowl eligible. In both those years, they also went to the SEC championship. And then obviously Mullen, uh, I believe 10 win seasons in his first three years, including uh, three New Year's Six Bowls and an SEC championship appearance. You know, obviously things went awry his final season and, you know, the recruiting went downhill, took a turn. But, you know, we're talking about three coaches who, at the very least, either made an SEC championship game or won or went to a New Year's Six Bowl in the first two or three years of their their coaching tenure. And obviously, you know, Napier's Napier's in a little different of a situation coming in, joining this Florida program. But, you know, I think bare minimum, making a bowl game is is sort of the floor, the absolute floor of the Florida program slash fan base. So uh, I'm curious to see, you know, just how things play out in year three. I mean, it'll definitely be one big thing to look at from uh, this entire offseason we already see. I mean, let alone the SEC, Mississippi State, as well as Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher. Not saying that was one I was surprised to see, but I have to say at least $76 million. I mean, the best job in college football is probably being a fired head coach. Uh, But basically, I mean, again, we talked a lot about, you know, the struggles of Florida and, of course, you know, ending off the season five and seven. But what are some things that, you know, we can take away from this Florida team or we can look into the next season and say, hey, the program for Florida can grow. Like the Florida fan base, what can they look forward to to fall into next season? And as well, of course, recruitment-wise, whatever that might look in the offseason as well. There's some good young players. Um, uh, Not so many that next season's a guaranteed success, but there are good young players. Trey Wilson is a freshman who had a great year. Um, there's some promising young guys all across the defense who played sparingly and they had their their moments. Um, I think something that's exciting is Graham Mertz had his best season as a college player this year. Um, Billy Napier has kind of a mixed history with quarterbacks, um, but this is an undeniable success for him. So that that bodes well for his ability to work with quarterbacks. Um, so you'll have Graham Mertz back next year. Plus you'll have DJ Lagway, five-star, one of the best uh, high school quarterbacks in the country this year. He'll come in um, to be the heir apparent, maybe have some gadget packages next year. So those are exciting things to build on. I'm going to be honest. I don't have a ton of optimism unless a lot of these freshmen and sophomores take a huge jump, which is not impossible, but it's a little, little shaky. Um, but, you know, there are certainly things to look at and be optimistic about. And, you know, the recruiting class has taken some hits, but it is still a really good class and it has potential to get even better. Yeah, I, I'd go off that. I think just looking at the young players, 
is where you really have to look at to try and stay optimistic about this team. Uh, I think at the very least, one thing Billy Napier has kind of proven so far through his first two years is I, I think his ability as a, or a talent evaluator, and just in terms of high school recruits, has sort of paid off. You know, Trey Wilson, Stafford mentioned, has looked really good. Um, guys like Jordan Castell was a three-star, you know, he struggled at certain points, but overall, I think he had a good season, especially for his high school ranking and starting as a true freshman. Uh, guys like TJ Searcy, Chris McClellan, um, and their, you know, the action they saw, I think they looked really solid. Um, guys like that, Devin Moore, when he can stay healthy, looks really solid. And, you know, looking at guys like Montrell, uh, and then obviously last season, I'm sorry, Torrance, you know, Trances he brought from Louisiana. Those are guys he, you know, scouted when he was at Louisiana. So, you know, and then Trevor Eugene and other guys. So I think, you know, with the recruiting class, I think being five now, even despite losing three recruits, uh, that's still a solid class, top five. And, you know, if you're continuing, if this trend holds true that, you know, you trust in Billy Napier's ability as a talent evaluator, which has kind of proven true so far, then you would hope that things like the discipline and the detail things, you know, they work on that and they do fix it. And I think the talent can get there where it needs to be to compete with these other programs in the SEC. I mean, as you mentioned before, with the recruitment as well as the high-level recruitment that Billy Napier and the football program at Florida is doing, I mean, it's going to be basically, you know, put down in the cooking pressure, right? I mean, we're talking about a schedule in 2024. University of Miami comes to Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. UCF, who's, you know, been making strides right now. They're a new conference out there. Uh, but then also, you know, Tennessee, Georgia, as per usual. Now you have the SEC with Texas, Oklahoma playing over there in Texas, and as well as LSU coming to Gainesville. And the last time the uh, Tigers came, it wasn't really a good outcome for the Florida Gators, let alone the past two seasons under Billy Napier against LSU have not been good results for the Florida Gators. So it's going to be a very difficult schedule up ahead for them. Uh, but again, I really do appreciate you guys' time for this podcast, of course. But uh, last two questions I have, one of them being, of course, what are your takeaways from this Florida program going? And I know we talked a lot about it. You're going off season this season, but what's one of the biggest takeaways or final things you want to say about this Florida program in the 2023 season? Underwhelming. I think Florida football, um, it's there's so much potential that just like it's obvious when you're in a, a region as talented as, as Florida proximity. So obviously you have the in-state guys here, proximity to Georgia, proximity to Alabama, winning history, facilities are the best they've ever been. But, you know, it's, the results have been a slow decline basically for a decade um, with occasional peaks and valleys. Um, and this was supposed to be a like a movement season, an improvement season. Last year was six and six, up and down, some highs, some lows. I think realistically this could have been a seven, maybe even eight win team, depending if a couple breaks go their way. Instead, it's five win team. They don't even make a bowl game. Um, it's just tough. It's frustrating because, you know, if they just win two more games, you know, let's say they make that field goal against Arkansas, that's a win. And then, I don't know, flip flip whatever result you want in your head. That's seven wins. because They, they, oh, guard, okay. they guard Luther Burton on the fourth and 17. <laughs> exactly. They get a stop on fourth and 17 and they make a, 40 yard field goal. You know, it's a seven win team with two like high level ranked wins against division opponents. You're going to a bowl game. 
you have a top five recruiting class that feels so much different than what Florida feels like right now. And it, again, it just comes back to discipline and details. <laughs> and that's so, so frustrating because those feel like the things that should come first. And they're the things Billy Napier said would come first, but they haven't. And they've debatably regressed from last year. So when I'm looking at the state of Florida's football program, I'm just underwhelmed and and a little bit frustrated. And I'm curious to know if that's going to improve or if it if this is like a little blip and it's just kind of like coasting and then it shoots up next year or if this is a beginning of the end and Florida's going to have to hit the reset button in like a year or two's time. Yeah, I think for me, this these next couple months are going to be huge. You know, you have early signing day next month, next couple weeks. So, you know, depending on how that plays out, I think it's going to be big, you know, holding on to the guys they have because they still have a lot of top name guys like Lagway, like Xavier Philsam, who I believe is number one, if not number two, safety in the country. Uh, other talented guys, if they can land on guys like Jordan Seaton, who's a five-star offensive lineman at IMG Academy, guys like that. I know they're making a serious push for Jeremiah Smith, who's the number one wide receiver and player in the country, I believe. Uh, you know, so I don't know if they'll get him, but it's like, you know, they're making a push. They're clearly making an effort. Uh, and, you know, bring home a, a really good recruiting class that I think that kind of saves face or at least, you know, heightens what was an underwhelming and ultimately disappointing season. Uh, I know five and seven, it's kind of funny. A lot of people preseason kind of projected Florida to go five and seven, six and six. And some people even said as low as like three and nine, four and eight. And they basically met a lot of preseason expectations just on the record of like, you know, looking at the big picture, but then you kind of look in and you see how it got there and you can't help but be extremely disappointed with that. You know, you're five and two. They had won their first true road game under Napier. Uh, it's an SEC team in South Carolina. Uh, you head into the bye week, and then they, you know, they end the season with five straight game, five straight losses. And as Topher mentioned, you know, maybe you make that field goal, maybe you get a stop on fourth and seventeen against Missouri. Uh, that's a seven and five season, four and four in the SEC, or excuse me, that'd be five and three in the SEC. Which, you know, five and three isn't great, but that's you know, a winning record's huge in, in, a, in such a competitive, tough conference. Um, especially when you'd say you looks wins over Tennessee and Missouri, theoretically. Um, but yeah, I think these next couple of months in terms of what Napier does in terms of recruiting, uh, if there's any coaching changes made, uh, things like that, that, uh, they kind of need to do, uh, to change the complexion of, you know, how the season went. And again, Florida Gators ending off their season five and seven, three and five conference play and only one win, the lone win in the Billy Napier era on the road, being that game against the South Carolina Gamecocks October the 14th. But before we leave uh, this podcast, uh, for those who do not know, uh, this will be the last semester for Jackson Wells Topher at the Alligator and as well for myself. However, for them, it's been a long road for them. I mean, I know Topher has covered this football program at least two seasons straight. And then for Jackson, Basically traveling the entire, like, what were you in Utah? Like, I don't know how many miles you guys traveled throughout the season, but, you know, a lot of trips, a lot of Whataburger eats. Uh, but Jackson, I was just curious for you to start us off. You know, what was that experience like for you this season as well? I mean, what do you take away from your alligator experience covering this football team? Yeah, I mean, 
for me personally, even with an underwhelming season, uh, I'd say it was really special to be on the beat and get to cover it. Uh, you know, my, my dad went to UF, so I, I've basically grown up watching the Florida Gators as long as I can remember, as long as I my, my conscious brain has uh, been. So, you know, I, I never saw myself being in a position to be able to cover this team, especially as a senior at UF. Uh, it's been really special. And, you know, to not just do that, but also get to travel to places like Salt Lake City, uh, South Carolina, LSU, uh, cover Florida, Georgia. Uh, which is you know one of the more historic rivalries in college football, um, has been you know just really awesome, and to do it alongside uh, you know Topher, and then Luke, who's our main football beat reporter, uh, it's been you know it's been a blast, it's been a ride. So, you know, I look back on my time on the Alligator and time on the Speed, uh, some of my favorite semesters in college. Um, you know, I think this is really where uh, I'll I'll remember the most about it and hold most fondly to my heart. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's what I'll say about my experience. Yeah, it's been a it's been a blessing, man. I know I've been I've been on this beat for three years now, two with the alligator, um, another one with another site, and uh, it's it's a blessing, man. Uh, it's not every day <laughs> you get to be a student covering one of the biggest football programs in the region, you know, one of the biggest athletic programs in the region. I mean, Florida football is a big deal, man. And to be able for us to to have this access and get to cover these great games in front of 90,000 fans and, you know, the big national TV broadcasts, you know, you mentioned Florida, Georgia, getting to go to Death Valley in, in Baton Rouge this year, you know, it's, it's been real special. And, uh, I'm very, very thankful for the opportunity. Thankful to Jackson, Luke, uh, Jackson Castellano, uh, Joe Henry, who were the editors last fall. The, the guys at the other places I've worked. I mean, it's a it's a special opportunity, and uh, I don't take it for granted. And I am definitely going to remember it fondly, um, regardless of uh, what what's next. Well, again, I mean, for me personally, just working with you guys has been also incredible. Just to see your guys' coverage and seeing. You know, all the things, and I know we don't have a lot of time, but I do have to say, Topher, your thoughts on Whataburger? <laughs> it's a vibe, man. You cannot beat the vibe. It's, it's exactly what you're looking for in a vibe, man. Uh, for, those who do, for those who do not know, Jackson uh, kind of uh, introduced Luke and Topher to Whataburger. Me personally, I have not eaten that yet. Uh, again, from South Florida. So, so, you know, maybe in the future, though. Then again, if, if any of you guys are in South Florida, Miami subs, I'll take you there for a gyro. I'll take you there <laughs> for a gyro. Uh, but with that being said, that'll be the end of our podcast episode this week. Thank you again for uh, tuning in. And, of course, if you're looking for more coverage on the Florida Gators, do follow us on Twitter, a.k.a. X now, and as well as Instagram, being that of Alligator Sports, and as well online, alligator.org. And, of course, look around for the orange boxes on print around here in Gainesville. But with that being said, um, Brian Hernandez joined by Topher and Jackson. The Florida Gators finishing off the season in football five and seven. You guys have a good one. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you. Thank you.